0: Well, on Wednesday, June the 1st, we're planning our annual Blue Jays game. We've done this for a number of years, and obviously we took a break during the COVID adventure that we were all on. But um, Chicago White Sox, Toronto Blue Jays, Wednesday, June the 1st, stay tuned. Tickets will be available soon. We hope you'll consider joining us. It's always a good time to be together as a church family across the generations. So we're looking forward to to that event. Also, Alpha is um, being offered again right after Easter. And um, we would love to have you join us on Wednesday, uh, April the 20th at um, 7 p.m. It's gonna be a hybrid model. They'll be online and there will be uh, in-person. And so you may uh, be a searching person who has questions of faith. We'd love to have you come and join us. Or you may know somebody, a family member, friend or neighbor who uh, has searching questions. And it's a great environment to bring all the questions about meaning and purpose and the role that faith plays in in all of that. So we'd love to have you come and to uh, spread the word to your friends as well. So stay tuned for more information about that as well. So today we're continuing our series. Uh, It's amazing how time flies when you're having fun. Uh, This is actually part number nine as we move through this Kings and Queens series. Life Lessons from Israel's Leaders. And again, it's not a series on leadership, though there are lessons to be learned for sure. Uh, This is a a series about life principles, learning from what uh, Israel's leaders got right and what they didn't get so right. And uh, so this morning, we're gonna take a second look at King David and how he responded to criticism. And that is a huge... Uh, issue for all of us, because um, I I don't know if it would be good for us to go through life and not experience some measure of criticism. Um, But this series is going to conclude on Easter weekend. It's fast approaching, and uh, we're blessed to have Dr. Peter Newman, who's going to give the Scripture Talk on Good Friday at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. If you're local, we'd love to have you come join us. And then uh, on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about how Jesus is King of Life, and so uh, our series is uh, is winding down, we're almost finished, but it's been I, hopefully helpful for, for everyone as we've considered, uh, again, Israel's ancient leaders and how we can learn from their life experiences. So our passage to ponder is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus is standing before Pilate, he's on trial, and he says these words. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Again, Jesus is king over all kings and he is our ultimate model to follow. And uh, he says his kingdom is not of this world, it has a very different orientation. He says, if it were, my servants would respond like the servants of this world, and they would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But he says, rather, my kingdom is from another place. And so those of us who've signed up to follow Jesus understand that there is a very different orientation to both leadership and life as it relates to, uh, again, orienting our life around the Lord Jesus. So uh, just before we dive into our passage, our scripture for this morning, I wanna just introduce you to seven uh, perspectives that will hopefully help form our our view as we consider criticism. So here they are, and uh, some of these principles will play out through the text. So I'm just gonna give you a little bit of a 30,000 foot view of how we should um, consider criticism or at least adopt a healthy perspective around it. So here's the first one, all criticism is not wrong. Constructive criticism is qualitatively different from malicious attacks. Uh, We get better when we experience constructive criticism. Malicious attacks, they just create a destructive tone and and, uh, they they don't do a lot of good. So there is a qualitative difference between those two, constructive criticism and malicious attacks. Uh, Secondly, criticism can make us better. It has the potential to bring the best and the worst out of us. Um, It can be painful and it can be productive. Uh, We can get better if we approach criticism and respond to it in healthy ways. And we'll look at that a little bit later this morning. Number three, we can't control our critics, but we can control our response. Um, Peace in life is found on the other side of acknowledging and recognizing our limits, what we can control and what we can't control. And so we cannot control our critics, but we can um, self-direct as it relates to how we respond. Uh, fourthly, the source matters a great deal. Um, not, not all critics or not all criticism, I guess, is uh, found to be equal. And uh, probably one of the most important aspects of responding well to criticism is recognizing the source. And uh, again, I guess not all sources are of equal, um, we should not consider all sources to be of equal weight in our life as we uh, reflect and then respond accordingly. Uh, this is huge. Sometimes, number five, the most challenging critic is to manage the loud inner critic. Um, we all can struggle with a loud inner critic and finding the volume knob to turn that down can be really hard for some of us. And uh, so that's, that's real. Sometimes painful critics come from outside and sometimes equally pain or maybe even more painful critics come from within. And number six, when we criticize others, it may reveal our own inner view of ourselves and the world around us. We tend to pull others down to our level. Um, We have the capacity to project ourselves and all that's going on within us onto other people or onto other situations and circumstances. So we need to be very careful. Sometimes when we exercise criticism, it might say more about us than it does about the other person. And then finally, number seven, we do well to look for the kernel of truth in every criticism we receive. I I don't think it's true that there is always a, a kernel of truth in every criticism necessarily but I would say uh, very often there is. And so if we approach um, the criticism with a measure of humility and teachability, we will probably position ourselves well for growing and getting better. And um, so we're gonna take a look at a passage. Uh, It's found in um, 2 Samuel chapter 16. And I've got three thoughts for you this morning, and I hope they'll be incredibly uh, practical for you. Uh, the first one is this, um, again, lessons in receiving criticism from King David. This is our second look at King David. And in fact, um, when we talked about King David the first time, he was on the run from King Saul. He's on the run in this passage too. He's on the run from his son Absalom. Uh, in the first series or in the series um, that we, we were still in and we looked at King David previously, he was also interacting with a man named Mephibosheth. That's a, that's a mouthful. Uh, Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet. He was the grandson of King Saul. And uh, and this passage again, alludes to Mephibosheth. And uh, so there is a dovetail to both of these talks on, on King David. So um, here's the first point for us to consider today. Sometimes people we've been good to can be disloyal, unkind and cruel or critical to us. Um, it's not always true that every time we're good to someone, they will be equally true to us. There is a law of sowing and reaping, which is often the case in life. Uh, what we, How we treat others often comes back to us in some form. But there are occasions when we can be incredibly good to others and they don't return the good acts in kind to us. And so David is experiencing something here. Let me just give you a bit of a backstory. Again, Mephibosheth was the grandson of King Saul. He had... Uh, been crippled in both feet. He expected to be killed by King David because he was a part of the former dynasty, the family of the former dynasty, which is King Saul. But David instead was kind and gracious and generous with Mephibosheth. In fact, he invited Mephibosheth to always eat at the king's table. So he literally included him and treated him like family. If you recall, if you're a part of this talk from a number of weeks ago, we talked about how, how David was trusting and tender-hearted. And he trusted God with his, um, uh, his pursuer, which was King Saul, who had a jealous bent on David. And, and he was also tender-hearted towards someone who couldn't really do anything for him. David had all the power in the relationship and he exercised his power by being kind and benevolent. Um, so we'll remember that Mephibosheth was treated very kindly by David. There's another a character that shows up in this story. His name's Absalom. Absalom is one of the sons of David. And um, I'll just share a brief snapshot of an incident which is incredibly painful and um, and, and very, very difficult. Um, There was a daughter of of King David named Tamar um, and he had another son named Amnon. Amnon did a a dark, wicked act by actually sexually assaulting his sister, uh, Tamar. And so uh, when Absalom became aware of it, he took matters into his own hands and he killed his brother Amnon. And when King David became aware of what uh, Absalom had done, he refused to see Absalom for a number of years. And so during that time, when King David gave him an extended time out for killing his brother, um, Absalom's heart turned against the king, against his father. And he began to um, exercise a coup, so to speak, or a revolt against his dad and against the king. And, um, and so this is where we pick up the story and it's in 2 Samuel chapter 16, but we'll start in verse, uh, verses one through three. Um, again, David is on the run now from his son Absalom. He's running for his life. The second time he ran from King Saul, Saul was hunting him down. Absalom has turned the hearts of the people against his father or against the king. And so David is, is somewhat experiencing the rejection of the people and he's on the run. And uh, so in verse three, um, the king, this is David, then asked, and he asked a man named Ziba. Remember Ziba and Mephibosheth had a relationship. He was assigned to serve the needs of King Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. So the king then asked Ziba, he says, where is your master's grandson? Which is Mephibosheth. Ziba said to him, he's staying in Jerusalem because he thinks today the Israelites will restore to me my grandfather's kingdom. Okay, so we'll just pause there for a second. What's going on in this passage? All right, so King David is on the run from his son Absalom. The people have kind of turned their hearts away from David to his son. And so David's uh, on the run. And he's expecting that the loyal love that David exercised toward Mephibosheth would be returned to him now. And he says, where's Mephibosheth? And literally, you can feel the pain or the disappointment in David's question. He was expecting to see someone who he had been very good to, very kind to and generous, to be by his side during one of his most lonely, disappointing moments, but he was nowhere to be found. And in fact, Ziba actually says that Mephibosheth is in Jerusalem, waiting for the time when his, his grandfather, which is King Saul, his family will return to a, a place of dynasty and leading the nation again. And so um, this brief interaction reminds us that people can disappoint us. Uh, It's the nature of life and it's the nature of relationships. So if if we rewind the tape for just a moment, in this passage, we see Mephibosheth, who apparently in this passage appears not to be loyal to the king and it hurts. And then we have Absalom. Absalom was hurt by his father by having this extended time out and his heart moved in all the wrong directions. And we need to understand this principle. Hurt people tend to hurt people, it's the way life works. And so sometimes when we see somebody on a reckless track and they're wounding all over the place, we need to go to a, a place of, of benevolence and kindness to say I wonder where the wounds lie in their hearts because uh, hurt people tend to hurt people. And then we're introduced to a character. His name is Shimei, and this is where the rest of our story for today will pick up. Uh, He's a rock-throwing stranger. If it wasn't enough to have somebody disappoint you that you were very good to, or if it wasn't enough for your son to rise up against you, uh, now we have a stranger who just encounters the king and and he pelts him with stones and he hurls abusive curses at him. I'll let the passage um, speak for itself. So again, 2 Samuel chapter 16, we'll pick it up in verse five. So as King David approached Baharim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, And he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. Although all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul and in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son, Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. There was an element of truth to that because David had arranged for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to be killed. Then Abishai, son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, What does this have to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all of his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse for the Lord has told him to. It may be, he says, it may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. It, it's a pretty um, humorous scene if you're not a part of it. If you're a part of it, it's deeply painful and concerning. But it's, it's a pretty wild um, uh, scene to, to observe in our mind's eye anyway. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted. No wonder and there he refreshed himself. So they were just worn out from having this stranger just pelt them with stones, call down curses on them, throw dust and dirt at them, and accuse them of all sorts of things. So how do we respond to criticism? This guy, Chimier, becomes, uh, I think we can say largely unhinged. He just seems to snap, and David is in the crosshairs of his blowup. Dr. Henry Cloud says this, we will encounter, generally speaking, about three different kinds of people in this world. We'll encounter wise people, and when we speak with them, and when we potentially constructively critique, they'll get wiser still. Uh, Foolish people, they're not able to digest wise words. It's just almost incompatible with them. And then he says, wicked people or evil people, he says, don't even go there. He says, have them call your lawyer. And I thought that was kind of a, a lighthearted way of saying there are certain people in life you just don't engage or respond because the response, they're just not able to process it. And so unfortunately in life, the only way we learn these things is by experience. And, uh, and so David, he demonstrates some wisdom for us and uh, we'll unpack it now in just a moment. But for our first thought for consideration, um, it, it, it is this, that sometimes people we've been good to can be disloyal, unkind, cruel and critical uh, to us or of us. Uh, Secondly, sometimes the best response, as David models, is no response. Uh, David um, restrains his friends and himself. Uh, If you remember the first talk uh, we gave about King David, he wasn't king at the time, but King Saul was hunting him down. He had an opportunity to um, deal with the one who was hunting him down but he refused to because he didn't want to lift his hand against the king. Um, and he had some others around him saying, do it, go for it, God's put him into your hands. Here again, David is being somewhat incited by those around him saying, let's just go and deal with this guy. You should not be subject to his cursing and his rock throwing and all the things he's doing. But David restrains his friends and himself. It says, Abishai, son of Zariah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. This is how they dealt with their enemies or those who were giving them grief in the ancient world. And uh, so David, he just chooses not to go there. Uh, It takes a lot of inner restraint for all of us, and I'm sure it did for King David as well, to press the pause button on his emotional response put some space between himself and the uh, really emotionally heightened situation so that he can respond in a mature and healthy way. David does not return in kind what is being um, extended to him through Shimei or by Shimei. Uh, I love this proverb, it's such an important one. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man or woman who lacks self-control. That's Proverbs 25, 28. Um, in, back in the ancient world, the walls were the protective boundary markers for the city. And Solomon writes and says, like a city that has its walls torn down or broken down, that's a picture of the man or woman who lacks self-control. They are now vulnerable. They don't know where their boundaries begin and end, and they're vulnerable to those who might have their not their best interest in mind. And um, so, so David, he, he restrains his friends and himself, and David includes God in the criticism that he receives. He says, if he is cursing because the Lord said to him, he actually leaves that as an open possibility that maybe God's gonna redeem this situation. Maybe God's working in ways that I might not like, but he is present in this moment. And so I'm gonna be still long enough and I'm gonna just rest in it and perhaps... Perhaps there's more going on in the situation than I can easily recognize. It's it's good for us to press the pause button and not just uh, put some space between our maybe unhealthy emotional response to a situation, but also to pause long enough to factor God into um, perhaps the events that are taking place in our life. And then David just keeps moving forward. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. Uh, David just keeps going. He just, just keep moving, David. You don't want to stop and entertain that because probably you'll get sucked into it. Just keep your head up, keep moving forward, doing the next right thing. There's a story in the Bible uh, called Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah was a man who had a heart for the city of Jerusalem. He went back to rebuild the broken walls. And there were people who opposed his good work and they ridiculed him and criticized him and, and, and they tried to distract him and prevent him from making progress. And I remember uh, one of the passages in Nehemiah, he says, um, I'm I'm about a good work here on the wall and I can't come down and engage you. In other words, what I'm doing right now is of greater importance than to lure myself into this situation that's not gonna bring the best out of me or the best out of us. So David is not a perfect man as we know, nor has he been a perfect parent. Maybe he gave his son a unhealthy extended time out. Um, He's not shown moral discretion in his life and maybe he's lacked parental wisdom as we mentioned but he keeps putting one foot in front of the other and he doesn't quit, he doesn't lower himself. And this is something we can definitely learn from David. We need to remember this too. Sometimes people criticize without knowing the whole story. They only know a little snapshot. They only have one little perspective and they think they see it all. All of us can go there where we just see one aspect of a story, but we think we know the whole plot. Um, We need to keep that in mind. When people criticize us, they don't know the whole person. They don't know all of the events and maybe they're not capable of knowing all the situation. And so that is a very important principle to keep in mind. It reminds me of this uh, story where a man and his wife, they pull into a full service gas station and the attendant was washing their windshield for them. And the man said, after he was doing it, he said, it's still dirty. He says, can you do it again? And the attendant washed it a second time, being careful to get all the bugs off this time. And the man became agitated and raised his voice, yelling now that it was still dirty. The attendant sheepishly washed it a third time. And the man was still not satisfied and screamed at the attendant that it was still dirty and he told the attendant that he would do everything in his power to get him fired. And uh, that this was the lousiest windshield washer he had ever seen. And about that time, his wife who was in the passenger seat, she reached over and took her husband's glasses off his face. She cleaned them for him with a Kleenex and placed them back on his face And the man sank in embarrassment in his seat as he viewed the perfectly clean windshield. And here's the point. Critical people view others through their own dirty glasses. That is often the case, when other people are not seeing clearly, and this is again, when people are um, mean-spirited and destructive. We're not talking about constructive criticism here, we're talking about the kind that Shimiye is exercising. And it's unfortunate, but from time to time, we might run into someone or a group of people who are like that. They have a certain lens by which they see the world, and it discolors you because of what they're looking through. And so we need to have enough wisdom and move at at, at an appropriate pace so that we can self-regulate and do the next right thing. All right, here, my final last thought is this, number three, we are invited to encourage one another because criticism can wear us all down. Uh, the, The text says in verse 13, so David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went, throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted. I guess so. And there the king, he refreshed himself. So we refresh ourselves through self-care. We need to carve out time to do good things for ourselves because we all leak, so to speak, and uh, we need to be uh, filling ourselves up so that we have emotional capacity to deal with the challenges of life. So we need to be kind to ourselves in our thinking and in our behaving, and we need to do the kinds of things that replenish us. David must have done something for himself to kind of fill himself back up. And we also refresh ourselves when supported by others. We need that circle of people that we can lean into who can help us when we feel exhausted or depleted or feel worn out or feel like we're at the edges and the world might be against us. There needs to be a team, so to speak, that we can lean into. And scripture is very clear in the New Testament especially that we ought to encourage one another because there are enough discouraging experiences in life that we need to spend some intentional energy building one another up. I'm always grateful when I get an email or a text message from somebody who's just putting more courage in me and finding something to celebrate. And I hope we'll do that for one another. It's important that we point out to one another when we get it right and uh, not just how we can get it better. Uh, We can celebrate all the things that work for us. And so, um, we exercise wisdom and maturity when we look for the measure of truth in the criticism. This is our final thought for today. Uh, We we exercise wisdom and maturity when we look for the measure of truth in the criticism. Now, this requires that we have a non-defensive posture. If we're going to be defensive, we'll miss the kernel of truth in the moment that will help us get better. And uh, now, humans have a tendency to self-protect and uh, we're vulnerable when we choose to lower our defenses, but when we lower our defenses, that's when the value of the constructive criticism can come to us. Secondly, it will require solitude and reflection. If we are experiencing a measure of criticism, whether it be constructive or a little bit mean-spirited, and we're gonna try to find the kernel of truth in it, it might require some solitude, some silence, maybe a journal, a pad of paper and a pen where we can write out our thoughts and hopefully grow in maturity. And then finally, it will likely require counsel and input from others. Objectivity comes from outside of ourselves. Thanks be to God for the word of God. Thanks be to God for the people of God. And when we have some trusted people where we can listen to their voice, proven wise voices, it'll help us discern and clarify the other voices, what should be accepted and embraced and what should maybe be resisted and rejected. And so uh, responding to criticism is not easy. Uh, We're all going to have opportunities to practice this because this is the nature of human relationships. Uh, Sometimes we do it and we do it with great skill when we constructively critique or criticize others to help them get better. Other times we overstep and we are not in the realm of constructive, it's a little more um, destructive. And so may we all use our words more wisely to constructively criticize uh, or constructively encourage others to get better. And uh, and may we also use our words wisely to actually celebrate others when they do get it right. So let me pray for you, and then I'm gonna invite the pastors to come back. Uh, Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you that you're inviting us to be the mature and healthy versions of ourselves. And we know, Lord, that that is when Christ is more fully formed in us. So we pray that you would help us today to not see criticism as the enemy necessarily, Uh, but help us to be open to that which we can learn, and help us, Lord, to be discerning regarding the voices from within and without, and help us, Lord, to be the kinds of people who are known for being encouragers, who put courage in other people rather than deflate them, and perhaps, um, you know, bring destruction through our words so we love you god and we thank you for this day build in us lord all that you have and help us to be on display for your glory and honor always and help us to function well in this world as your friends and we pray all of this in jesus name amen